Well, if you will, bow with me and let's pray together once again. Father, we thank you so much for a Sunday. Lord, you raised Christ Jesus, our Savior, on Sunday morning. It's why we gather on Sundays, to remember that you are alive and that all who place their faith in you can live, can have the living water and never thirst again. Lord, I know that all over the world on Sundays, people are praising your name. And your word is sufficient. Spirit, you move every week through preachers and teachers all over the world to share the good news that there is hope in you and you alone. So, Father, as we turn our attention now to your holy word, I pray that you would move through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word. God, that even though I'm unworthy and even though I'm unable, you are able. Would you supply the need? Would you speak in spite of a foolish and frail servant? Would you teach us this morning? Would you encourage us this morning? Would you remind us of our hope? Lord, would you also convict us of where we have failed you? Would you challenge us and motivate us to love you and follow you and serve you well? God, we ask all these things knowing that you're able, that Spirit, you can and will speak to us this morning. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the first book of the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew. It'll be about three quarters of the way through the Bible. If you don't have your own Bible or your own copy with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew that's there in front of you, or you can take one from the back of the pew there in front of you just as a a gift, a small token of appreciation from us to you. If you've got your phone and you want to access it that way or a tablet, or if you just want to follow along on the screens. However you're accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. As we look together now at Matthew chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 18, I will read all 18 verses for us. When I complete verse 18, I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now at Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening, 
to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning I wanted for us to take a little bit of time and talk about Something that is commonly talked about, and we actually haven't done it here at Bethany since I've been here, but walk through some of the actual Christmas story. It can become stale to us because we get too familiar with divine things. That's something that we struggle with in the South. We get very used to the gospel. We get very used to the Christmas story. So you may be sitting there this morning and you may think, Golly, I've read Matthew chapter 2 umpteen times, preacher. I've heard that story so many times, but I encourage you this morning to try to listen with fresh ears and let's dive into this story to see what the Lord is trying to show us in the background of telling us about the events surrounding the birth of Christ our Savior. And so I want us to talk about these wise men And you know, there's a lot of things that we assume about these wise men, but if we're honest, really what we know for certain is that they were wise and they came from the east. Outside of that, everything that we know is essentially a very educated guess. So what we genuinely know about these wise men, nothing, a whole lot of nothing. We assume there were three because there were three gifts, but That might not be the case. Maybe there were a whole bunch. Maybe two or three of them brought gold. Maybe four or five of them brought frankincense. Maybe one or two brought myrrh. Who knows how many there actually were. The likelihood that there were only three is very low. They probably were traveling in a very big group because it was not safe to travel. So imagine, if you will, that they plan out this long journey and they want a lot of people with them for safety and security. You know, yes, not yesterday, but uh, golly, we came back yesterday, so it's, it's throwing me off. But on Christmas Day, we got up and we, we opened all of our presents and then we packed up and we drove to Birmingham. That was a three-hour drive. It involved packing a bag, putting it in the van, 
packing up the gifts that we were going to give to family and driving to Birmingham. Three hours later, we're there. If something happens along the way, there's a gas station. We can stop and refill with fuel. If our tire went flat, we've got a spare. We've got people we could call on our phone. We could call AAA or something. We've got all the resources that we need. It's not a big deal. For these wise men, they come from far east. They see a star, and so they plan a trip. And it's not just a simple pop up to Birmingham and back down. It's not a simple three hour drive. I mean, if, if something had happened and we had fallen upon some sort of thieves or, or, or robbers or something as we were driving to Birmingham, we could call 911. There is no 911 in Jesus's day. These men took their lives in their hands to travel to see Jesus. And we read there at the end of the passage that Herod sends out an order that every baby two years old or under would be killed based on the time frame of the appearance of the star that he learned from these wise men. So what we know is that Jesus is probably about 18 months to two years old when the wise men arrive. The wise men don't show up right on time. Now listen, I don't have any problem with nativity scenes. Don't leave here today thinking, yeah, well, our pastor said them nativity scenes ain't right, and he don't like none of them. I got no qualms with nativity scenes, but let's just at least acknowledge together that what we normally put together of, of some, some animals and some shepherds and some Mary and little baby Jesus in the manger and then three wise men, that's, that's probably not scripturally accurate, okay? They probably showed up to Mary's house 18 months to two years later. This is not them seeing Jesus lying in the manger. That's another reason we're talking about the wise men after Christmas. So this is also not a three-hour drive up to Birmingham. You with me? These folks traveled for a year and a half to two years to find Jesus. They don't just hop on a plane and fly to California. They pack up and pause their entire lives. So we know they probably must have been wealthy also because day workers and day laborers, they ain't got the kind of funds to just, hey, you know, time out. I saw this really nifty star. Let's stop doing carpentry and just travel and follow this star. You know, we give folks a hard time when they take like a gap year. You know, is anybody familiar with the gap year? My brother-in-law, I think he did like a gap year. You know, you, you take like a year, you do some traveling or maybe you pick up a job. You don't go immediately to college. And we all think people are just crazy that they would put their life on hold to just time out for a little bit. And we're talking about a delay between when they graduate high school and when they go to college. You know, there's a lot of people who serve with the International Mission Board, like we saw on the video this morning. They take a year or two to go on a foreign mission and be on missions for a year or two before they come back and start college or go into whatever career. That's the kind of sacrifice that these wise men made. They decided we're going to put everything on our life on hold. So they must have had the means to do that. To be able to say, we're going to just stop everything. We're going to drop. We're going to travel. We have no idea how long it will take. And don't miss that if it took them 18 months to get there, it took them 18 months to get back, right? If it takes three hours to get to Birmingham, it's six hours round trip. So somewhere in the neighborhood of three and a half to four years of their life are devoted to traveling to see a baby because of a star. Folks, this is miraculous it is amazing that these men were willing to do this and not only that but to bring 
gifts with them. Expensive, luxurious gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Even if they were affluent, these were sacrificial gifts. This was not just a, hey, I got a few quarters in my pocket. I give you, I give you that. You go buy you a pudding pop or something and, and, and maybe it'd be nice, Jesus. This is, they're sacrificing from their personal wealth to give to Jesus. And they, we don't even know where they're from. Scholars typically agree that they probably came from Babylon because in the Old Testament, we read about like Daniel and his friends being exiled into Babylon. So there was a Jewish tradition and heritage that was being passed down. But again, it's a, it's a very good guess. It's a very educated guess, but at, at best it's speculation. We have no idea where these people traveled from all the way to Bethlehem. And they saw a star and God drew them to respond to the Savior. And yet, look at the response that we get from Herod and everybody else in Jerusalem. Look with me again in verse 3. The wise men show up. They're like, hey, where is the king of the Jews? We're looking for him. We saw a star. It rose up. We've come to worship him. So Herod, when the king, he heard this, he was troubled. He was distraught. Now, if you've been appointed as the king and you're underneath the Roman government, but aside from them checking in every so often, you've got total rule and dominion over the area of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. Like, you know, things are pretty good. You're technically the king. I can get why Herod is distraught. He's the king. I don't want there to be a new king to be born. I'm the king. I don't need some new king, some new kid kicking me off the throne. I don't want somebody overthrowing the Roman government. Roman government's been kind of nice to me. So I like the Roman government. I like being the king. I get why Herod was distraught. But don't miss the very next few words. And all Jerusalem with him. Folks, this is not just Herod who was distraught at the news that the newborn king had been born. This is all of Jerusalem distraught. They should be excited, overwhelmed. The response that we see from the Magi should be double what we see from those in Jerusalem because they're expecting the Messiah, right? And at this point, Jesus has not busted up any of their expectations. He's just a baby. If you'll remember, if you've studied it all as we've walked through some New Testament books or just in your own faith, over and over and over again, Jesus was a letdown to the religious leaders because they wanted him to come in and overthrow the Roman government, right? But Jesus said, that's not why I'm here. I'm here for a bigger purpose. And so over and over again, they got mad at Jesus because they thought he would be somebody else and he wasn't. And so Jesus hasn't even had a chance to do that yet. They could still put all those hopes that this is the Messiah to free us from Rome. This is the promised king from the line of David. This is the one that we've hoped for. And they could go and worship Jesus and say, finally, God has delivered and showed up. But instead, they're all troubled and distraught like Herod. And you know, they understood right where Jesus would be. None of them were confused. These magi are following a star. They have no idea where they're going. They show up in Jerusalem and they ask, hey, where is the king supposed to be born? So what's the next thing that Herod does? He assembles all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. And then he, he asks them where the Christ was to be born. The end of verse 4 goes right into verse 5. 
Notice that it doesn't say um, they stopped and they went, they pulled out their scrolls. They pulled out their Google assistant and said, hey, Google, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? They didn't go and dig through the archives. They readily knew. It implies the way that it's listed here in the text. They probably had it memorized. This is a prophecy from Micah chapter 5, and they quote it spot off. Hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? These are the chief priests, the scribes. These are the best of the best. They have most of the Old Testament memorized, and they immediately spout off and go, oh, it's going to be in Bethlehem in Judea. So, folks, maybe you're thinking at this point that these wise men showing up is like you walking by somebody on the street corner wearing a sandwich board sign, holding up a poster going, Repent now, for Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Repent now, because Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Maybe you think that these wise men showing up is more like an event where somebody writes one of them books and they've studied numerology and they said, well, because of the sevens and, and the threes and then the forties, that we know that Jesus is coming back on, on the millennium of the millennia and it's the 2000 and the 20 and then the 21. And then after the 21, there's the seven days and the seven days are going to lead to where Jesus is coming back on January 17th at seven o'clock PM in 36 seconds. We kind of throw those people off, right? Like we, we don't pay them a whole lot of attention, right? And then when January rolls by and Jesus didn't come back, we go, well, another loony bird. <laughs> Nothing to worry about here. Maybe, maybe you think at this point that the Magi showing up, is, they just get written off like, okay, some crazy people looking for the king of the Jews. <laughs> What's up? No, nobody treats them that way. They're troubled. They're distraught. They know the Messiah is coming, and all Jerusalem is in upheaval. And these scribes and Pharisees and all of the Sanhedrin and all of the wise, learned people know exactly where the Messiah is supposed to be. And they don't joke about it. They know that the Messiah could come any day. It's not a joke. It's not something to write off. And Nobody goes to Bethlehem. Nobody but these wise men go to Bethlehem. These wise men have traveled for 18 months. Bethlehem's just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. You could probably get there in a day, day and a half, at a leisurely pace. And the chief priests and the scribes sit back down. And the magi, the wise men, continue on to Bethlehem. Folks, this has gripped my heart this week. Because the people we resemble in this story are the chief priests and the scribes. We're the people who know a whole lot about Jesus because we were born and raised in the south of the United States. We're in the buckle of the Bible Belt. We know all there is to know about Jesus. But how many of us have missed Jesus because we know about him, but we don't know him what happens here in Jerusalem would be like me reading a book about how to date Jessica, my wife. I've got a book about how to date my wife. And so I take my wife out on a date and I'm reading the book while I'm on the date with her. And I'm reading the chapter of the book that talks about how much Jessica hates for you to read a book while you're on a date with her. And she says, hey, could you put the book down? I'm right here. Shh, woman. I am reading a book about how to date you. Could you be quiet so I can know what I'm supposed to do next? That's the essence of what happens. They know all about Jesus. They've read all the books, but they don't know Jesus. He is right under their noses and they miss him. 
And people from some country, we don't even know where they are, travel years out of their life just to find him. These are the people who are supposed to be declaring that Jesus is here, that the gospel is open and available for anyone, and yet they miss Jesus. And I'm afraid so often that especially during the Christmas season, this becomes so familiar that we are guilty of doing the same thing as the chief priests and the scribes. Or we say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm saved. I, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. What, what, what does it mean to be saved? You know, um, well, I mean, my parents always took me to church growing up. Man, that's great. I'm so glad that you've got parents that took you to church growing up. That's awesome. But, but what does it mean to be saved? You know, um, I mean, I do good stuff. And I'm so glad that you are a moral person, that you practice ethics, that you're a decent human being. That's great. I, I'm, I'm so excited for you. Still a lot of lost, dying people going to hell that are wonderful, moral, ethical people. So what, you, you tell me you're saved. What, what does that mean? Um, you know, man, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I remember singing that song sometime. I mean, I said a prayer, right? I, I prayed that prayer that one time. And I mean, I go to church every so often. I, I, I'm there every now and again. Doesn't that, doesn't that count? Isn't that what being saved is? And folks, just like that, Jesus is right under our nose. We're in Jerusalem, and he's just right there in Bethlehem. And we never go see him. And we know all about him. But if somebody says, what does it mean to be saved? We don't know how to answer. Because we don't know him. You know, we're we're supposed to be the ones that God uses to reach the rest of the world. And some of us don't even know what it is to share the gospel. And God is saving and using these wise men with stars. In 2 Corinthians, it tells us that we're the ambassadors. God's chosen to use those who believe in Jesus as the ones to make the appeal to others, to go there for and baptize them and teach them to observe all the things that he's commanded, to make disciples. And yet, Jesus is having to go around the people who know all about the kingdom to draw people into the kingdom. He used the stars to draw the wise men to travel. Far journey. They didn't miss Jesus. And yet, you and I sit right here where the word is in our own language. We, we read these videos. We, we watch these videos. We read these stories of these people who they don't even have the gospel in their own language. He said it. One of those missionaries said it. There are people who grow up and live and die and have never heard the name of Jesus. Yes, God can reach them the same way that he reached the wise men. But it is our mission to reach them. And sometimes, because Jesus is right under our noses, we just lose focus on who he is and what the mission is. And we place our hope in other things. Remember what we talked about last week? We looked at Romans chapter 15. Look with me again at Romans chapter 15, verse 13. In Romans 15, 13, we we talked about this hope that we have May the God of hope, our God is a God of hope. May he fill us with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope. The hope comes from believing. The hope comes from finding Jesus. Jesus is our hope and our peace. 
He's our joy. But what happens is we grow up in this culture and our society says that our hope and our peace is getting together on Christmas. Our hope and our peace are the pretty decorations that we've got everywhere. Our hope and our peace are our kids or our family or our friends. Our hope and our peace are the cultural norms that we've grown into doing, our practices, our traditions. And we get so caught up in those that we forget that the hope and the peace is Jesus. And just like those in Jerusalem, Jesus is right under our nose. And we celebrate and we have a great time, but we miss Jesus. And, and, and we want to say, oh, well, this is, this is hard. You don't understand. Pastor, sometimes you don't get to be with your family. They pass away. I, I, I understand. I know that in this very congregation, in this very room, some of you had to celebrate the holidays without a loved one who was absolutely essential to your life. And maybe it's even been a few years, but you're still struggling to go through the holiday season without them. I understand how hard that is. I know I'm with you. But, but COVID, and we couldn't get together on all of our Christmas get-togethers. But, but there's, there's marital problems and there's financial problems. We couldn't buy gifts or, or there was a divorce. So now our family's all splintered. And you want to tell me that there's peace and there's hope? Yes, there is. And it's in Jesus. It's not in those family get-togethers. It's, it, it, COVID can't touch the hope that Jesus gives us because Jesus is worth stopping our entire lives and journeying like the wise men for years at a time just to be with Jesus. They were willing to do whatever it took. And even when they found Jesus, they were willing to be humiliated so that they could worship Jesus. Do we realize that Isaiah tells us that there wasn't anything super special that drew people to Jesus? He wasn't some eight-foot-tall monster. He wasn't the most ruggedly handsome man that's ever been born. He didn't have a killer jawline. They showed up, and you know what Jesus looked like? A baby. A toddler. I got a two-year-old at home. A toddler. Do you realize, have you ever thought about, that they show up and they bow down and worship and lay down? It says they lay down prostrate in front of a toddler. A little baby boy playing with his mama. If I lay down like this at home and Lily Grace is in the living room and I acted like I was going to worship her and say, oh, great Lily Grace, we just turned into horsey time, all right? She's going to climb on daddy's back and I'm going to crawl around the floor and I'm going to lay like a horse. <laughs> That's going to be what happens. These wise men bowed down to worship Jesus and it's highly plausible that toddler Jesus doesn't say, ah, yes. Thank you for worshiping me. I appreciate you bringing the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. The frankincense will be used to anoint my body when I become a grown man. He, he didn't talk like a grown man. He really was just a toddler. Like he could have climbed on their back and played horsey with them while they're trying to worship him. He was just a baby. They humiliated themselves. They traveled all that way and spent all that money. And they show up to see a two-year-old. And they still bow down and worship him. And you know, you and I, man, sometimes I'm not willing to be humiliated or put to shame for Jesus for anything. We got we gotta be we gotta be held in high regard. We we can't stoop low. Folks, that's the kind of attitude that makes us miss Jesus. That's the attitude of the scribes and the Pharisees. The attitude of all the chief priests. Ha. Well, if those magi find him, then they shall come back and report to me, and then I may go and investigate. But as for now, I will sit in my chair and read my scroll, and 
I will not debase myself to go and visit a child. Folks, sometimes we got to be shamed and humiliated in our worship of the Lord. Sometimes we may stick our foot in our mouth. But it's worth it for Jesus. It's worth it for Him. The wise men understood there wasn't a price that was too high. There wasn't an act that was too shameful. Because they found the Savior. Matthew tells us the story in this way. It's like a man who found a treasure in a field. Then he buried it. He went and sold everything that he had. And he went and bought that field. That's the attitude of the wise men. Folks, that's the attitude we should have as we approach Jesus. Our focus should not be on temporal things, but our hope should be in Jesus. Our focus is on Him. Something that hit me this week is is the realization that this is the only time in all of eternity that we have the opportunity to worship Jesus through suffering and pain. This is the only time in all of eternity that we have the opportunity to focus on Christ and worship Him through hardship. Because the Bible tells us that when we meet Him face to face, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more sadness. And that when we stand face to face with Jesus for eternity, there will be no more hard times. There will be no more trials and tribulations. But the way that we seek out Jesus in the good and in the bad now will echo throughout eternity. The way that Jerusalem responded to Jesus echoes throughout eternity. The way that the wise men responded to the star and to Jesus echoes throughout eternity. They had an eternal mindset that even if this journey is hard, even if we get robbed, even if we lose every penny that we own, even if we have to humiliate ourselves in front of this baby, this is the Savior and He's worth everything we've got. And sometimes, folks, I think we get so caught up in our own hardship, in our own trial, in our own difficulty, that we lose our eternal focus. We forget that this life is a breath. It's a vapor. And we need to spend that breath, that vapor, entirely on worshiping and serving Jesus because He's worth it. And when we don't, our attitude falls back to the scribes and the Pharisees. Look at how John describes it to us. John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. Jesus is speaking to possibly even some of these same scribes and Pharisees that wouldn't go see Him as a baby. He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, says Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They had it right there in front of their face. They dug through the Scriptures and they still missed Jesus. Folks, our lives are about living for Jesus, in the good, in the bad, 
whatever the cost, whatever the trip, wherever he sends us, it's not about our traditions and our comfort and our convenience and our prosperity. It's not about our focus on us. It's about him. And the wise men understood that. And they were willing to do whatever it took to journey to find Jesus and give him their lives. Folks, this was such a serious event that Herod was so mad about it. He understood to such a degree, he issued a command that all the babies two years and under be killed. And the people of Jerusalem carried it out. Folks, you don't order the death of babies unless you really think somebody's about to take your throne. And Herod said, go kill the babies. And the people of Jerusalem were so distraught that instead of going to look for Jesus to worship him, they went and looked for Jesus to kill him. And I wonder what camp are we in this morning? What camp are you in? Have you spent so much time in church convincing yourself that you know Jesus when you just really know about Jesus? Have you spent Christmas after Christmas after Christmas focused on all the wrong things? A lot of people were devastated this year by the way Christmas turned out. Those are folks who were focused on the wrong reason for Christmas. If I'm honest with you, that was me. My mom and dad and aunt and uncle have COVID. I couldn't go be with them. I sent out a real sad, sappy text to all of our family on Christmas Day. And I said, normally about this time, I'm stressed out and rushing and trying to get to y'all's house. And I'm never going to stress out or be worried about it again, y'all. I'm so sorry. I just wish we could be together for Christmas. Poor pitiful me. Christmas ain't about getting together with them. Christmas is about serving our Savior. About finding Him at whatever the cost. And so this morning, I want our challenge to be to be like the wise men. They were wise because they were willing to sacrifice whatever it took to find Jesus. That's all that made them wise. The people in Jerusalem were foolish because instead of searching for the Savior to worship Him, they were looking for the Savior to kill Him. Don't miss Jesus. Don't think you're in the Bible Belt and it's okay. And just because you come to church or just because you said a prayer one time, you're good. Don't know about Jesus and not know Jesus. But let's be like the wise men. Let's know Jesus and worship and find the Savior at whatever cost. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the example that we have in the wise men. Lord, thank you for the warning that we have in those chief priests and those scribes. Lord, help us to seek you and to serve you. Especially through the new year that's coming. As we walk into 
2021, Lord, let it be a year where we seek you at whatever cost. Father, help us not to miss you by being good church folk. But help us to encounter who you are. That you might change our lives and alter our perspective from focusing on the temporal to focusing on the eternal. Lord, remind us of our hope. Our hope which is in you and in you alone. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.